love, and he certainly was love and expressed love. Not Kindness. Sorry, David? Kindness. Kindness? He was indeed kind. Okay, Joan. He died to make it. He did indeed die. Right, okay. None of you got it yet, but I, I didn't get this right either myself. Jill, come on. Sorry? Yeah, he taught about forgiveness. Two words I'm looking for. Sorry? He is the I am, yes. Two words of his message. The person along my row got this right the other day. I didn't get it right. Two words that sum up Jesus' message. Anybody want to guess? Jesus saves, he does. Follow me, right, okay. They got it a lot quicker the other day. I didn't get it right either. And I'm not but Jesus' message might be summed up in those words. Follow me. And I'm sure, as you've indicated, there are many other ways we could summarize his message. And that's the same message, in a sense, for us uh, today, isn't it? The question is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like? How is it? Who followed Jesus? Come on, we don't, have any, we don't have much to warm us up these days by coming straight into the message. But tell me, who followed Jesus? Answers, quickly. The disciples? What, and why did, the, why did the disciples follow Jesus? He called them and they responded to him, okay. Who else followed Jesus? Sorry? The crowds because they saw the miracles. And, of course, when I asked my wife the question earlier on, she said, the Pharisees. Well, it's true, also, the Pharisees did follow after Jesus in a way, didn't they, to ask him questions, but it, that wasn't the answer I was looking for. Many people followed Jesus, didn't they? And uh, just read this from Luke, uh, Luke chapter 6, verse, don't need to turn to it, Luke chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. It says, um, it would help if I got the right chapter. It says here, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. You see that? A large crowd of his disciples. We often think, don't we, there was just the twelve. Well, there were the twelve, but there were many other people who considered themselves to be Jesus' disciples. But there also were huge crowds of people. And, um, and I guess they were, you know, many people, as Roger said, they were interested in what was going on. I mean, if you heard today, wouldn't you? If you heard today that people were, there was somebody who was setting people free from physical illness, from mental illness, somebody who could change situations completely. If, you, if that person was here today, not wearing sandals, but wearing, dressed as we dress, not walking around, but driving around in a car people would be attracted to him. People would be interested in what was going on. They'd be following his Twitter account or whatever else. They would be interested in him. And many people were interested in Jesus. And the crowds fo literally followed him. So turn to Luke chapter 14, which is our reading for today. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. We'll read that together now. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, 
his brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Well, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he first not sit down and consider whether he is with able He is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure heap. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And you can imagine, so Jesus turns to this crowd that were traveling with him. They were traveling with Jesus, the crowds. Right? They they, They were connected to him in some way. They associated with him. They literally uh, followed him. And I guess if you'd gone to the crowds and said, you know, are you, with Je- are you with Jesus? They'd say, yeah, we're with Jesus. We're with Jesus. We're following him. And they would follow him for all sorts of reasons, as we've already mentioned. But Jesus has some words for the crowd. And the simple, the simple choice to, to, for them and indeed for us today is this. Are you going to be one of the crowd that's associated with Jesus? Or are you going to be a disciple that follows Jesus? That was the choice for these people that day. Are you going to be one of the crowd that's connected that knows something, that's there, that's watching, that has some understanding, experience of Jesus? Or are you going to be a disciple that follows him? And that was their choice. And I'd put it to you that that is our choice. Is it okay to be one of the crowd? Is that enough? Is that different to being a disciple? And if so, what is the difference? Well, Jesus goes on, doesn't he, in those verses to explain the difference. And he says some things that must have shocked them. He says, anyone who does not hate, these are the words of Jesus, I wouldn't dare say them. But the words of Jesus are, anyone who does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not love, anyone who does not uh, hate his own life cannot be my disciple. Anyone who is not willing to carry his own cross cannot be 
my disciple. And I guess if I was in that crowd that day, I'd be saying, did, did I hear that aright? Is that, is that what Jesus is saying? <laughs> is that what he, he can't, surely he can't, he can't, he, he can't mean that, can he? And yet three times he says those words. Unless you cannot, unless you do this, you cannot be my disciple. What does he mean? Well, let's be clear. He doesn't actually mean that we should hate mother and father, brother and sister, wife and children. He doesn't mean that. And we could look at a couple of scriptures in the Old Testament, but we won't for time that bring that point out. Because Jesus is using what's called a hyperbole here. Um, Effectively, he's using exaggeration to make a point. So if he doesn't, and, and we know he teaches that we're to honor our father and mothers, and we know that he loved children, <laughs> and we know, that, uh, uh, I- I- we know that about him. So he doesn't mean literally hate. What does he mean? Let me read, let me read the equivalent, an equivalent passage in Matthew chapter 10, which brings us out, verses 37 and 38. By the way, the passage that we've read in Luke just this morning is effectively repeated six times in the gospel. In every gospel, in some gospels twice. These are key words that that the the gospel writers recorded. They are absolutely fundamental, and therefore we need to take note of them. The equivalent passage in Matthew chapter 10 is this. Anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see the point? It's not that we're to hate our family, not that we're to hate our own life, we're not somehow to, 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 to inflict punishments upon ourselves in some sort of uh, aesthetic way. What we are is to love Jesus more than we love our family. We're to love Jesus more than we love ourselves. And we're to love him so much that we're also willing to not carry a cross literally to be crucified on it, although that happened for some. It's not likely to happen for us. But we're to carry our cross daily as the way, in the way that we follow Jesus that he must be first. He must be first in our affections. He must be first in our ambitions. He must be first in our actions. He must be first before our families. At times, families, will, families will, can lead us in different directions, and our responsibilities to them can sometimes conflict with the responsibilities that we have to Jesus Christ. If missionaries 200, 200, 150 years ago had not been willing in a sense literally to sacrifice themselves and their families, they would not have gone to places in India and Africa and the Middle East where many of them died. When we went to Tanzania many years ago, you could go to a local graveyard and you'd see graves of children, babies. They didn't last very long in those days because they, real- they weren't able to withstand the diseases and they thought they could swim in Lake Victoria, but they didn't realize... Bill Hart's here in Lake Victoria, and it kills you. And they died, sometimes very quickly. 
But they did it because they believed that they should put Jesus Christ first. And the call to them is no different than the call to every one of us. The call to everyone who would be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is that he must come first. We should worship the Lord our God. Every, every other God, every other idol is not to have any place in our lives. And if, we, if he doesn't come first, we are not disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're just one of the crowd that's associated with him. And the choice is for each of us. Each of us, to each of us, Jesus says, will you be my disciple? And if so, this is what it means. And it's not too great, is it? If he really is, if he really is the creator of this whole world, if he really is the Lord of everything, if he really is our Savior who's given given himself to save us, if he really is eternal, if he really is all-powerful, then why should he not come first? Is there anyone that should come before him? No, he isn't. The truth is, though, that we bring him down to something much smaller, don't we? We don't recognize who he is. And we don't love him as we should. We should carry our cross. Sometimes we talk about carrying crosses. We talk about people having crosses to bear, don't we? Sometimes the difficulties that they face in life. You know, I've got a cross to bear. You know, I've got a nagging wife, you know. Actually, I haven't. (laughs) I'm a nagging husband. That's the truth of the matter, she'll she'll tell you. And uh, it is true. But we we use that phrase, cross to bear, very easily. When Jesus said they should bear their crosses, those people then knew exactly what he meant. Because they could picture it. They could picture the man, or the man generally, carrying his cross to the place of execution. That's what it meant. That was clear in their minds, that if you're going that if, that, that to be executed by the Romans, you carried, they made you carry your cross as they made Jesus carry his cross as part of the shame and the humiliation. So when Jesus said you've got to carry your cross, they knew exactly what he meant. And it would be a terrible cross to bear. A terrible thing to bear. It would mean real sacrifice. Total sacrifice. So first of all, there's a real cost to being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we're to love him first. Serve him first. In our choices, put him first. And we're to count the cost. And then Jesus tells these two stories, doesn't he? Of a builder and a king or a stroke military commander. And for, in both stories, both of them need to do something. And what they both need to do is they both need to sit down and think and weigh up the position. Weigh up the cost. The builder, before he starts, building, starts his building project... He needs to sit down and consider whether he has enough resources to complete the building. If he doesn't, he's an idiot. Because what's the point of a half-built house? Sometimes you see things like, we we call them follies, where people have started things and not finished them. And, uh, 
And if you build a folly, then you're considered a fool. The builder should count the cost. In Ireland, when we were over there visiting my sister um, a year or so ago, you could drive around and you could see half-completed buildings. You know what? You could see half-completed whole housing estates that people had started, but they didn't have the resources to complete because the prices dropped. And the whole thing never got finished. The king has to sit down and ask the question, does he have the military might to face a much larger army that's coming towards him? If he doesn't, if he doesn't have the resources, he needs to to stop and he needs to go to that king and he needs to surrender because to go and fight and lose will be terrible. So far better to surrender and sue for terms of peace. To make the wrong decision would be a disaster. And here's the right decision. The right decision, the right decision is to surrender to Jesus Christ. That's the right decision, to surrender to him. Jesus says after those two stories, in the same way any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciples. So there's a real cost and we need to count the cost. And you need to be willing, I need to be willing to accept the cost. It's great to be in a crowd, isn't it? You know, I, uh, not, not a shopping crowd, I hate those crowds. But I can, I can sometimes, I, I've enjoyed at times being part of a football crowd. Particularly if we win. That doesn't happen very often, of course, for my team. But never mind, some of you know better success than I do. But it's great, you know, either going to the ground, as I remember as a lad, this was so much part of my life. You know, the walking to the ground with, with the crowds. We're all on the same side. We're all going for the same purpose. You know, it's like going to rugby, I suppose, or whatever else. We're there for a purpose. And it's even great, you know, when you come out having won, you know, and you're all, all going in the same direction, that sense of camaraderie and whatever else. And these people were no doubt enjoyed being part of Jesus' crowd. But the thing is, Jesus is not looking for popular acclaim. Jesus is not looking for the popular vote. Jesus is not interested, in a sense, in the crowds and the numbers of people like we probably are and would want to be. He's not looking for well-wishers who would follow his Twitter account. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for people who will understand what it is to follow him and will commit their lives to doing so and put him first. Those people had to choose to follow him. This week, (coughs) um, along with Victoria, I was at the uh, Friendship First course and... um, which is about, if, you, if anyone's interested, it's about how ordinary Christians relate to ordinary Muslim people. So it's not highbrow at all, it's very down to earth. But part of the video link we were watching was of a, a Muslim imam, you know, that's the guy who leads in the mosque, you know, that's the equivalent of the vicar. Uh, <clears throat> this imam, first of all, shared about his devotion to uh, Islam. And it was absolutely sincere, and it was really deep, and he, 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 it was for him, it was everything. Uh, he went to one of the highest um, Isla- Islamic universities in Cairo. He could recite the whole Quran. 
<laughs> it's got a few words. He did a bit. Of, he sang a bit of it to us. It sounded lovely, actually, as he sang some of this Quran to us. And for him, it was his whole life. He was devoted to it, devoted to, 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 to God. And he couldn't understand why anyone would ever want to become a Christian. Why would you want to leave Islam and follow that strange, stupid, whatever? One day, then having trained, he came to London. And he was an imam in London, in one of the mosques. And um, one day, after Friday prayers, I think, and he preached his sermon, just like this now, he heard a voice. The voice said this, I'm Jesus Christ. Come and follow me. And you could see, he, just, he said, I just didn't know how to, to respond to this. I, was this Satan speaking to me? <coughs> I, I cried out to Allah to take this voice away, you know, to stop it, whatever else. And then the voice comes again. Loud, a clear, audible voice says to him, I'm Jesus Christ. Come and follow me. can't tell his whole story. He didn't tell his whole story. He only told us a bit. But he did. He did just that. There was a great cost to pay. <laughs> great cost for him to pay as the local imam to now become a follower of Jesus Christ. But he was willing to pay that cost because he knew it was Jesus. He knew that this was the truth. No longer could he ignore it. He needed to become a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, this crowd that were following Jesus, <clears throat> I, wonder, I wonder how, I wonder if any of those that were in that crowd that were enjoying following Jesus and seeing these amazing miracles, I wonder how many of them ended up in the crowd in Jerusalem when the people were crying, crucify him. I don't think it's too stretching things too far to think that some of these people, this same crowd, would be, in the, would, would be in Jerusalem just not many months or whatever later. And at that point, they would have had a real choice to make, wouldn't they? When the crowd in Jerusalem were crying, crucify him, are they going to go along with that? Are they going to go along with it perhaps just by saying nothing? Or are they going to actually, st at that point, are they going to stand up and say, no, no, don't crucify him. He's Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. Don't do it. They would have a choice to make, a real choice, that they wouldn't have been able to avoid. That day, would they choose to be disciples of Jesus Christ or would they now stay within the crowd, the, same, the crowd that's now calling to crucify him? I often wonder what I'd be like if I was in that crowd. Would I stand up? Knowing the risks, would I stand up and say no? Would you? Some, a preacher I heard recently turned to the congregation said are you willing to die for Jesus Christ he said I mean literally are you literally willing to die for Jesus Christ because he said where I come from people are having to make that choice am I are you 
Because if he's first, and that comes to that sort of choice, then, then that's what we do, isn't it? Thankfully, many of us are not faced with that choice. Perhaps thankfully is not the right word. Am I willing to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Here's a question that I said last week, the men's weekend, which has challenged me recently. Am I willing to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ? Literally that. You see, I'm quite willing to be known as a churchgoer. I'm quite willing to be known as religious. I'm quite willing to people hear about my good works. I'm really willing for that. I'll tell them, you know, all too easily. But am I willing to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ? Am I willing to acknowledge him? Am I willing to acknowledge who he is and what he's done in my life before other people? Am I willing to even at times um, cross some boundaries? When I heard um, Rico Tice recently, he was saying, you know, that now people are telling, he said, uh, people are telling him they can't speak about Jesus at work or whatever else. He said, have we now got to the stage where we can't even invite people in our workplaces to come to a celebration of Christmas because of what our employers will say or do? He said, because if we've actually come to that point, then we as Christians have to decide who we're following. Because actually, if we can't even do that, then is Jesus really first in our lives? Or are we saying, no, actually, I daren't do it because in case it risks my career in some way or other. Is Jesus really first? I guess... To do those things means recognizing some embarrassment, doesn't it? Potentially being thought of as being stupid, not very cool, maybe losing one or two friendships even. I guess there's many people in the world who think they were small costs to pay compared to the cost that they pay for following Jesus Christ. Am I willing we need to recognize the real cost, to count that cost, accept the cost. But also, we haven't got time to look at this now. I'll put something in the notes for community groups. But the truth is, our cost becomes our gain. Jesus said, didn't he? When Peter says to him, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus turns to him and said, hold on, Peter. No one, no one has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So said Jim Elliot, the guy who lost his life before he was 30. The cost becomes our gain. Jesus is no man's debtor. What will, be a, what will be a real cost now, will, in, in, in the light of eternity, will not seem like any cost at all. God has many good things stored up for us. But here's the point, a real, an important point. It's this, that Jesus himself bore the full cost. Jesus bore the full cost. He loved his family. He cared about his mother even when he was hanging in pain on the cross. 
And yet all through his life he'd put the Father's will, his heavenly Father's will first in every situation, in every day of his life. Right the way through to the end of his life when he could still say, not my will be done, but yours. Not my will, but yours be done. The reason the father, my Father loves me is that I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own cord. And he literally did try and carry his cross. Except he was unable to because of this, the beatings that he'd received. You see, no one else can do what Jesus did. <coughs> Jesus paid the full price for my salvation and your salvation. We cannot, we cannot redo that. That is a once and for all thing. But in doing that, he makes it possible for people in that crowd and people, and people here this morning, people like me and you, to become his followers. And the truth is, it's only as we see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's only as we really come to understand who he is and what he's done, that we will want to and be willing to, to give our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, Jesus asks this. He asked it of the crowd then and he asks it of me and you today. He asks that we be willing to hear his words and to leave the crowd and become his disciple. He asks us to consider and be willing to count the cost of doing that. And there is a real cost. He asks us to choose to put him first in our love and affections, in our choices, in our obedience to his word and what he teaches. He asks that we might truly pray for ourselves that your kingdom come and your will be done. He knows we can't do it on our own. He knows that we're not able to fulfill that. He promises the Holy Spirit to be with us, to help us day by day. It doesn't mean we won't struggle and at times we won't fail. We will. And then we need to seek his forgiveness and his strength to get back up, as it were, and carry on. But the question is, am I willing? Am I willing? That's all he asks. Are you willing to, be, to count the cost and be my disciple? William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, was once asked towards the end of his life, what was the secret of his success in achieving all these things for God in his life? He said, it, said he remained silent for several moments and then with tears in his eyes, he said this, he said, there have been men with greater brains and greater opportunities than I had. But I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth. All there was. His daughter later heard that quote, heard that interview. Uh, and she said this. She said, that's not really his secret. His secret was that he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ and he never took it back. I wish I could say the same. <laughs>
or I can't. I don't know about you. But am I today willing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? That's what he asks. And that's the question that each of us will answer one way or another. Am I willing? Are you willing?